In the mid-90s, Royce was facing 99 years after being charged with multiple counts of assault on a police officer. After serving around nine years at the Pallage Unit, Royce went back in to minister and now has been a certified volunteer chaplain's assistant at that same unit for over 10 years. Reconciling with his children was an uphill climb, but he shares with us how consistency paid off in the end and brought his family back together. Come on, let's do a background check on Royce Hall. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Background Check Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Gum. And uh, man, thanks for listening. As always, we're brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future. Hey, listen, quick shout out, man. If you are a company or an organization or even just a person uh, that wants to sponsor this show, and uh, that way we can say instead of brought to you by Forgiven Felons, brought to you by your company. Um, our, our podcast is gaining a lot of momentum. We get a lot of listeners now each month. So anyway, if you want to do that, just let us know. But listen, thanks for listening. Welcome to everyone, wherever you're listening from, whether you're listening in bed, on the sofa, in the weight room, uh, while you're driving, while you're working out, whatever you're doing. Uh, if you're in prison, listening on tablets, um, thank you for choosing us. We know there's lots of uh, content on that tablet, and so we appreciate you listening to us, and we appreciate all of you who write in and say um, and say that the show has impacted your life, thank you. If you do write in, man, and, and there's an episode that really impacted your life, let us know because I will reach out to the the guest on that show if we had a guest uh, that episode and let him know how you, how you were impacted. So uh, thanks for uh, listening and listen. We got a lot of good things coming up at Forgiven Felons. I don't want to bore you with all the details. Let's just say. There's a meeting going on next week that will help, that could potentially help forgiven felons feel uh, fill the housing gap. And then we also are in the drafting plans phase of um, of a place for the resource center. So good things happening. Just buckle your seatbelts and be patient. And um, I don't know what God's going to do, but I know He's going to do something. He's got a plan. And he would have put this dream and vision in my heart if he wasn't going to make it happen. It's been a long road, but I think we're in front of the right people. We've connected with the right people now, and it's about to happen. So hang on. We're excited. So anyway, uh, again, thanks for listening and making this podcast uh, as high as it gets on the ratings. You guys are amazing, and and it's all over the world too. Croatia, we're big in Croatia. We keep topping the charts in Croatia, so thank you uh, to whoever's listening in Croatia. Thank you. Um, so here's the deal. We, we were due for another volunteer episode and we got one. (laughs) And not only this, this is not just another volunteer episode. The, all the volunteers that I know are good friends of mine. And this, this gentleman is, is no exception. I mean, he is, uh, we met a long time ago and we have been friends. He has sent people to forgiven felons. He has, 
He's incredible. His name's Royce Hall. He's a CVCA, uh, Certified Volunteer Chaplain's Assistant. Okay? So basically, you're, he's basically right under the chaplain at the unit he's on, Pallage. He, he served nine years of his 12-year sentence at Pallage. And as soon as he was able, when he got out, as soon as he was allowed, he went back into minister. And then several years later, he became the chaplain's assistant. So just an incredible man, incredible story, journey. He does incredible things. He has an incredible wife named Trish. Uh, they minister together. The story is full of ups and downs. It's full. It's you're gonna you're gonna cry probably, um, but it's full of reconciliation, restoration, and uh, redemption, and miracles. So, without further ado, this is the interview with my great friend, certified volunteer chaplain's assistant on the Pallage Unit, Royce Hall. Royce Hall, welcome to Background Check Podcast. Wonderful to be here, Jay Dan. Wonderful to have you in our home today. Well, it is a beautiful home. Uh, man, the the view, the front is nice, but the back view of the golf course and the, is that a lake or? It's a Lake Granberry. Lake Granberry. All right, well, that is beautiful. This is the first time I've been to Granberry since I think I was a kid. I think my mom used to bring us here. Uh, was there like a, was there like an old square there is a square. It's and, beautiful. It's right out of uh, Back to the Future, the movie. Okay. And then is, was it, I feel like we went somewhere called uh, the Nut House. The Nut House is still here. It's still here? Yes. Oh, my God. I'm gonna, I may have to go by the Nut House. I may have to get directions and go by there because, I mean, that's all I remember. We came here for something. I don't remember what is near Granberry where we went and did some activity. But I remember we we uh, we always went to the square and we always went to the Nut House. So it's still here. I'll that is it. crazy. That's awesome. Well, thank you for allowing me into your home. Thank you for letting us do a background check on you. I know this is not the first time you've had a background check done on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> this is uh, this is the why we do this background check. Why we called it background check because you know I feel like man the the phrase background check has such a negative connotation to it. You know, when somebody who hears it, whether they have bad credit or whether they have a criminal background, when they hear that term background check, it makes them nervous um, or, or gives them resolve to know, OK, well, I'm not going to get the house or the loan or I'm not going to get the job because of my background check. Um, you know, the people coming out of prison, you know, they, they, they'll get a job and then two weeks later they'll be fired because the background check came in. Came you know? in. Absolutely. And, uh, and so I, I just felt like, man, I want to do some background checks in a positive context, you know, where we're shedding light. Yes, we're talking about your background, but we're talking about it in a positive light. Um, Jesus did background checks on every one of his 12 disciples. Amen. And it didn't hold them back from anything that they did with Jesus. I mean, even, even Jesus even had one guy that he did a background check on that he knew wasn't going to turn around in the end. And he still let him hang out with him. You know what I mean? And so, um, uh, in the, in the opening song, it says your background shouldn't hold you back. It should pay you back, you know? And, and, and the reason I said that is because the things, the mistakes in our past stole from us. It stole time. It stole relationships. It stole money, you know? Uh, and I'm talking about people like me who committed crimes, not, not the, the ones that went to, went to prison for wrongful convictions that are innocent. But I mean, you know, some of us, we, we are guilty, you know? And, um, and our decisions stole all kinds of stuff from us, mainly our future, our, our, our present, our future at that time. 
And, um, and so I'm like, okay, now I'm going to use my background to pay me back. You know? Amen. So, <clears throat> and it's, and it's a wonderful thing that, uh, with Jesus Christ, we know that we are forgiven. We know that we're forgiven felons, but we also, on our part, we have to own that background. Yeah. And I love what Robin Roberts from uh, Good Morning America said years ago when she returned from her cancer treatments. She said, throughout it all, God gave me this one message. And he said, let your mess become your message. And if we can do that, absolutely. if we can do that, we can make a difference today, tomorrow, and ongoing. And that's what it's all about, you know, Uh, to, to not be afraid to share what you've gone through. Uh, I think Jesus said it best when he came back after he rose from the grave. He could have very easily already had his new body. But he chose to leave the scars. And those scars represent what he's been through, what he went through. And I think, you know, a lot of what we've been through are our scars, But if Jesus decided, okay, I want my new body. When I go back to appear to everybody on earth, I want my new body. I don't know if Thomas would have believed. Probably not. But because Jesus was like, okay, with with showing people, hey, this is where I've been and this is what I've done and this is what I've, I've, this is, this was my struggle and this is, this is what I overcame and this is what I have victory from. Thomas believed. And you know, if we can just win one person to the Lord by our scar, our scars and our past, our testimony, then it's all worth it. And so, uh, so <clears throat> tell everybody what you do right now, and then we'll get we'll backtrack and get into how you got to where you are now. But tell everybody what you what you do right now. Well, I am involved with TDCJ as a certified volunteer chaplain's assistant on the Pallage unit. I do visit other units uh, over the course of the years. And um, I administer the Alpha Discipleship Program on Wednesday evenings and the Voyager class, the Life Skills class at Pallage on Saturday mornings. Okay. And and all other tasks as assigned. Yeah, absolutely. And so you just assist the chaplain? Yes. Okay. So you do, you lead those classes, but you... You pretty much help the chaplain do whatever he needs to do. Yeah, whatever, whatever is 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 available. You know, and, and and I, I, think, I I fill in when uh, when the chaplain's away on vacation. Gotcha. I, I'll go down and spend a couple of days in their absence and those things. I can do everything um, outside of making informing a family of the death of an offender. Gotcha. But, he has to do that. But everything else in between, I'm allowed gotcha. to do. All right, and you're married. I am married. Tell us about your bride. Uh, Trisha Hall is is the love of my life, uh, my inspiration. She's been my biggest cheerleader, but she also can be my my uh, greatest come to Jesus accountability partner. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. She is, but uh, um, I'm such a romantic. Our fourth date. um, How long have y'all been married? We've been married ten years this May. Okay. Congratulations! Uh, coming up. Thank you. Our our fourth date uh, was New Year's Eve. Okay. And I took her to a covenant renewal service in prison. 
Oh, wow. What'd she think of that? <laughs> well, she was smitten and, and she's, and she's gone back ever since. Uh, oh, we man. were in prison last evening at the Palage unit and did a, did a great study. We're uh, studying a book by Patrick Morley called how God makes men. Okay. And it has, it has just opened up rich conversations in the small groups within the men. And wow. It's been amazing. They're seeing themselves in each of the models yeah. of each of the men that uh, Morley wrote about. Man, that is awesome. Okay, so let's tell people how we met. Uh, and you and I were talking about it uh, the other day because, I mean, it was kind of hard to remember. We've known each other for so long. <laughs> it's been years. Um, and... and how was it? Tell me again. Well, it... Because you contacted me, so yeah. you heard about <clears throat> us from somewhere. Yeah, Jackie Dickerson, who was the regional parole director for North Texas at that time, uh, Jackie and I had a working relationship, and uh, I met her through Chaplain Larry Gardner, uh, rest his soul. Yes. Um, and and uh, we were talking one day about some programs that were going on, and she said, I've got a guy that you need to meet. And, and I said, who is that? And she said, J. Dan Gum, I'll give you a little history. Uh, we called, I called, and, and we spent time together and met. Now, who was the first one? Was it Michael Carter, the first one you sent me, or was it somebody else? Uh, Michael Carter. Okay. Because I remember you were trying to send me pops, but I couldn't remember if we didn't have any time. We didn't have any place for him at that time, but I don't, I don't remember if that was before Michael Carter or after Michael that Carter. Was, that was after Michael. Okay. So... How long have you been a, a CV, CVAC? Did I say that right? CVCA. CVCA. Uh, gosh, I've been going back inside uh, almost 15 years. The last 10 years I've been a CVCA. Okay, so you started, you started back as just a, how long, have, now you've been to prison. Yes. How long did you do? I did nine years on a 10-year sentence. Nine years on a 10-year sentence, all right. And uh, how long have you been out now? I've been out uh, 16 years uh, the 27th of this month. Congratulations. That's awesome. It's, it's, and it's, has, it's blown by. Yeah. Mine will be uh, 16 next month, April 18th. So We don't forget those dates. No, we it? don't. Well, mine, <laughs> mine's also my wedding anniversary date. So <laughs> makes it easy. Um, what have been some... What have been some challenges... Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Before I ask that, where did you do time? I did all of my time on the pallage unit. Okay, but wait a minute. So now you're a certified chaplain's volunteer assistant. I said that wrong, too. Uh, C-A-V-C? C-V-C-A. Oh, my gosh. Certified C volunteer chaplain's, chaplain's assistant. C-V-C-A. Yes. All right, anyway. Uh, so you're a C-V-C-A on the pallage unit, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you've always been at the pallage unit? Mm-hmm. But you were locked up there, too? Yes, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> no, it's not. So now you're walking around with access to places that you couldn't go as an inmate. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm into ADSEG. I'm, I minister back there. I minister in the infirmary. I have access to each of the dorms. I go on to the dorms and visit with fellows. Gosh, I go, I go back and they give me keys to the place. Yeah. I was going to say, you have the keys now. So uh, now when you first, you, you've only been doing the, uh, the chaplain assistant for, for 10 years, so, but you've been going back in for 15. So when you first went back in, was it back to Palage? Yes. What was that like going back in 
knowing that you just spent, you know, I mean, you weren't even a year and a half removed from spending nine years there. So what was that like going back in? What did you think? What was going through your mind? Uh, and how did the guys receive you when you came back in? When we turned that evening onto that last strip leading down to Pallage, my heart was in my throat. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Uh, my heart was pounding. We pulled in, and the officers that were doing the pat-down, I knew. Wow. They knew me. Wow. They were amazed wow. that I was coming back. And they said, you told us that you would do this, that you would be back. And he said, and, you know, we've heard lots of people say that, but you're the first one we've ever wow. seen to wow. come back and do this. And they welcomed me. Um, when we walked through the picket into the hall, the first thing that I remembered was the smell. Yeah. It was just, you know, you, you get removed from something yeah. and you little things. And I remembered that day that I walked into there, the smell. And then when I, that was the first thing I noticed when I went back Man. Was, was the smell. When did you know? I mean, the guard said that you, you said you were coming back. But when in your nine-year journey did you feel the call? It, it was probably uh, four years in. And I, I read one day out of uh, Hebrews 13, verse 3, and it said, Regard prisoners as, you, as if you were in prison with them. Twenty-seven years ago, had you asked me about going into prison, uh, about ministering in a prison, I very simply would have said, lock them up and throw away the key. Yeah. Well, that's good. You led into that because that was my next question is, what was your attitude on prison and, and, and inmates before you went in? So keep going. And, and then 26 years ago, I found myself one of them. And I, I, you, know, you weighed those waters as something that you never expected to do or never, a place you never expected to be, and you sort of find yourself through that. Yeah. And it was, um, it was through that and then reading that verse, I became haunted. And I knew that with my professional background, with my education, with my ability to share things, that God was calling me to be a voice for a lot of men who had no voice. Yeah. And, and that has played out over the years uh, in the things that I've been privileged to be a part of and, yeah. to, and to do. Had J. Dan, had I been smart enough to write the script for the story... I never could have choreographed what God has done yeah. through over through all these years, including the time inside and the time since. Now, where did your faith journey start? I know your calling was when you read that Hebrews verse of about four years in, but when did your faith journey start? When did you know Christ as your Savior? I, I came to know Christ and accepted Him uh, when I was nine years old. Okay. So, uh, but I never understood or had a true acknowledgement of how relational yeah. it should be. Right. You had it in your head, but not in your heart. I, and, I, and, you know, I, I, I did all the right things for numbers of years, served on the right committees at church and did all the necessary things, but it was all surface. Yeah. There was no depth to it. And um, a friend 
uh, brought me a Bible while I was in Parkland Hospital. And I couldn't read it because they couldn't find my glasses. And, and when they found the glasses, I plopped it open. And, and, uh, and you know, when you just plop the Bible open, it always opens to <laughs> it Psalms. It always does. You know, there's a reason for that. And I, I read in Psalm 30, and beginning in verse 2, it says, Oh God, I cried out to you, and you gave me back my health again. You brought me from the brink of the grave, from death itself. And here I am alive. I'll sing your praises forever. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I wept for the first time in my life that afternoon. I mean, truly wept. Um, I was facing 99 years Mm. in prison for multiple counts of aggravated assault on police officers. And, and I was 49 years old. That's pretty lousy math. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but I knew right then that God had been with me the afternoon of my shooting, and we'll get some context to that yeah, in yeah. a minute, and that I was going to be okay regardless of what I was facing, that he was with me that afternoon, and he was with me today. He was with me all the days of my life, and he would be with me throughout this life and eternity. And there was a peace and a calm that I had never known in my life that came over me that afternoon in that hospital bed in Parkland. Suddenly, it had become relational. It wasn't that he was just the man upstairs or or our father who aren't in heaven. Right. He (laughs) He was real. That's so good. You know, that, that I, I went through that same thing. You know, I, mean, I grew up in church. I mean, I definitely strayed at one point. I, I rejected everything at one point. So when I got to ADSEG and spent those eight days in ADSEG, that's when God was saying, you've known, me, you've known me in your head. I want you to know me in your heart. And that was the difference between just the knowledge and the relationship. And uh, it's man, it's much better when you pursue the relationship. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, all right. Well, um, it, let's talk about your your time as as a chaplain's assistant. What are some of the things um, when you're ministering in this capacity? What are some of the challenges that you face? Whether it's inmates, guards, um, whatever. What what are some of the challenges you face? in uh, ministry to these guys, whether it's spiritual, whether it's practical, whether it's, you know, whether it has to do with the prison, whether it has to do with, you know, people's past. I mean, when you're helping these guys, what is, what is something that, man, if this, if this wasn't this way, it would be much easier to minister to these guys. I think the greatest challenge is, um, is finding housing for the men when they get out, when they get out that it's so limited on all fronts. Yeah. And there are the nature of some crimes makes it even more difficult yeah. Yeah, yeah. to find housing. And and having to having to say no. Yeah. That um, that there's no place at the end and, and there's a context in there that we need to really look yeah. at. Yeah. That uh, that there was no place at the end for Jesus. And we have to we have to do a better job as as a whole, right? Uh, and not limiting 
housing, but providing housing to get them a fresh start. Because if, if we can keep them connected when they come outside, if we can, if we can provide them an avenue, we can find them work today. Yeah. Today work is no problem. Yeah, there are easy. jobs everywhere, but, but the housing piece and, um, and the local governments don't, don't make it any easier. No, they don't. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they come out of the out of places with new rules and changes and things that are going on. That you said, how can this happen? How can this happen? That that we're we're causing failure. Yeah, and and we need to find a better way. Yeah, uh, to take care of that. Well, let me just lead into that. If you had the power and the resources to change one thing about our criminal justice system, whether it's from the time they commit the crime till the time they get out on parole, even while they're in prison, if you had the power and all the resources you need, what would you change? I would change when they've done their time, when they've completed it, when the state has said, you're a free man, make them free. Yeah. Don't hold that over them any longer. Give them the right to vote. Give them the right to move forward with their yeah. lives. Yeah. Uh, you know, are, are, are there individuals who won't do the right thing? Yes, there are. But there's a large, much larger number that that are willing and have had that heart change, that life change, that they're going to live a life that is, is exemplary. Yeah. And and we should allow them to do that. And, and we don't. We don't. And we, we do not. We punish everybody. Um, we, we apply the same punishment that we think the worst criminal deserves. And we apply that to everybody, everybody that comes out. I mean, they literally, they, they look at, and I know this, you know this, cause you've been on, uh, well, did, were you on parole a, mm-hmm. a year, two years, uh, two years. I was on parole for two years. And I mean, I was treated in my was DWIs and I was treated like I was a hardened criminal, you know, they wouldn't even let me drive for six months. And I had a valid legal driver's license. I couldn't drive my dad to, to chemotherapy because he had just been diagnosed with cancer. I had to climb the ladder to a few supervisors up just to get permission to drive my dad to chemo because nobody else in the family was, a, was available to. And I'm just like, if this is, if this is your version of a you know, productive citizen, you know, but you're right, though, they, they, they get you out. And I, I, think that, I think that would be the, the one thing I would change is the ankle monitor because that that's the that's one of the biggest things that um, equips them to treat treat us like you said you know they're not truly free and so they they get them out and they're like we're going to take you out of a place where you could go you could you could go to eat you could go to where uh, recreation you could go to school you could go to church and then we're going to put you in the free world but put an ankle monitor on you and say you can't go to any of those places I, I dealt with that for 14 months. You can't go to a restaurant <laughs> and eat. You can't go to church. You can't go, you know, you can go to work, but then when you come home, you can't go out to your mailbox. You can't go to the garage to work out. You can't. And that I think that's the one thing I would change. I think, and I think um, TDCJ recognized that because just last year they changed some of the, the ankle monitor policies. They allow a lot more social activities. So, Man, we're headed in the right direction, but we're nowhere near we, where we need to be, for sure, for sure. It's, it's good to find that, uh, that eight hours free time yeah. that they're now giving. And yeah. that's, a, that's a good place. That is a start. And then, and then the, in addition to that, though, they're, they're, they're allowing them to 
um, go go to out to eat with their family. You know, they can put in now and, and go to an actual restaurant with their family. And that's important because if you're if you're talking about if you acknowledge that connection with reconnection with your family is a, a big part of you know lower the lower the recidivism rate, then why aren't you letting these ankle monitor people do that? And now they're letting them. And uh, so that's we're moving in the right direction, but but at a at a turtle's pace. Yeah, a, a great story from last month. We had uh, we had one of our fellows being released. Uh, another friend went down to pick him up, and they called on their way to his new residence and said, can we stop at a restaurant? And I said, what did they tell him in reentry? And they said he had to go from point A to point B. And I said, you can go through a drive through And the friend said, well, here, here's, a, here's a Whataburger. We can go in here. And they, they pull in and... and and he leans over and he says, buddy, what would you like? And, and the, the fellow answered, anything with bacon on it. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is one of the things I missed, man. That is one of the things I missed. <clears throat> you know, one, at one time, they wouldn't even let him go through the drive-thru. We had, a, we had a guy on an ankle monitor that got in trouble for stopping through the Taco Bell drive-thru. And, um, and it was, uh, in fact, they put a warrant out. It was on a Sunday. They put The command put a warrant out for his arrest. And then the... Uh, and he got written up for it. They didn't arrest him. They didn't fulfill the warrant. They canceled the warrant, but they wrote him up, and it, it, it kept him from getting his ankle monitor off because uh, he was so close to, to the year or the yearly review, and that kept him that kept him from getting it off. And so it was kind of I was like, oh my gosh, because I mean they literally only went through the drive-through, but they said if it wasn't on your you know on your schedule, then you can't go. So. But they let them do it when they first get out, I believe. I, I think they let them do it when they first get out. Yeah, from yeah, they can. Yeah, That's yeah. right. So, what do you think the key to a successful reintegration is? Connection. Okay. Staying connected. <clears throat> Having someone hold you accountable. We have a the the Pallage unit is the Louis C. Pallage unit, and we have put together a program called the LCP connection. That's what we affectionately call it that. And when a man gets home, when he gets his cell phone, I, I send him a picture of a 3 by 5 card. Okay. That 3 by 5 card has 22 names and phone numbers on it. There are clergy from Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. There are state-approved volunteers. And there are other former offenders' names that are on that card that all a person has to do is call and say, I'm from Pallage. Whomever you call will stop what they're doing. They'll lay everything aside, and they'll take the time necessary to walk you through or talk you through whatever you're having to deal with. That connection has, over the last seven years, the recidivism of guys who have come through the Alpha Discipleship class and the Voyager class at Pallage has been less than 5%. Wow, so good. We're averaging 145 to 160 guys a year that are coming home, and less than than 5, less than 3 on some years are going back. And that's, that's God. Yeah. That's God moving in their lives and moving in the lives of the men who are part of the connection that's saying, yes, we want to contribute to their success 
and transitioning. So would it be fair to say that what, why do, if connection is the key to successful reintegration, and we know a lot of people go back, then what do you think the reason is that they go back because of lack of connection? Lack of connection. It, it's one of the things that alarms me most about when the guys come back that, that you know, they, they've placed lots of phone calls early and they, they, you know, they're involved. Uh, they find a woman. Yeah. <laughs> or Jesus. they find old playmates or they go back to old playgrounds and suddenly they go dark. Yeah. You don't hear from them. Yep. You call and you, it only, always goes to voicemail and you never get a response. That person is in trouble. Yep. They have made the choice. They've made a choice to, to not stay connected. And when you sever that line, that lifeline, if, you yeah. were, if, if you'd call it, when you sever that lifeline, you're going to flounder. And you and you're you're you are subject to return. So, you you talked about a woman. Uh, you've been married almost ten years. You've been out almost sixteen. So, what was your what was your key to finding a great woman? Not looking. Not looking. <laughs> not not looking. Not not praying. God, you know. Find me a mate. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't date for four and a half years. Okay, um, I had to reestablish relationships with my siblings, with with my children, with other broken relationships that I had had. Not all have been successful. Yeah, um, I didn't. Did not have a speaking relationship with any of my children for 16 years. Wow. But one day, uh, there was, I, I had made arrangements and, and had, had sent word that, that you can call Lover's Lane United Methodist Church and they will put you in contact with me. Wow. I did not force anything upon them. And one day... Uh, I was leaving my office at work, and I grabbed my phone, uh, going to lunch, and I had a voice message from the church. A lady said, Royce, there's a, uh, a woman named Courtney Hall that's called here and uh, wants to speak to you, and you know, we, you know, we have a policy, and uh, uh, I, I told her that we would contact you. And I hung up the phone, called immediately to Rhonda and said, Rhonda, for gosh sake, it's my daughter. <laughs> Give her my number. And I hung up and listened to the balance of the voice message. And she had included Courtney's phone number at the end. And I, I called, I, I prayed and called. And, and she answered and I said, Courtney, it's your dad. And there was a... <gasps> A gasp at the end of the phone. I said, sweetie, if you need to gather your thoughts and collect yourself, this is my number. You can call me back. And she said, oh, no, Daddy, don't hang up. And we have talked, texted, or emailed every day wow. since that day, 11 years ago. So incredible. Um, a couple months later, I had uh, uh, Trish and I had met um, 
in December, and that call was in October, I had stopped by to have dinner with she and her mom one evening just before Christmas, and and as I left her house driving to my apartment, I the phone rang, and it was my daughter, and she just chit-chatted, just talked and talked and talked and talked, and, and I got to my apartment and pulled in, into my parking space, and she just continued talking and talking, and and she said, well, Dad, she says, I know it's cold out there, and, and I, I, I know you turned the car off. She says, you've got to be cold. She said, I'm, I'm going to say goodnight. And I said, well, wait a minute. Um, I said, um, let's, let's pray. And I prayed something to the words of, you know, Lord God, you've, you've blessed us. You've graced us with reconciliation. You've restored our relationship. Just like you said in 2 Corinthians 5, that that you are in that business, you're in that reconciliation business. And I pray, Lord, that that you will never leave anything unspoken between the two of us. If one of us needs to say something to the other, that you'll give us the strength, the courage, and the wherewithal to say the words that we need to say. Amen. Wow. And she said, Amen. And she says, Daddy, there's one thing more. Drew and I have talked, her husband, have talked, and nothing would please us more than if you could come out to visit between your birthday and my birthday. Mm. Uh, my birthday was January 20th. Hers is February 15th. And I said, well, I need to, I need to get in the house. It's, uh, it's 20 minutes till 12, and there's a special airfare from Dallas to Atlanta, Georgia, that goes off sale in 20 minutes. And I need to, I need to go in <laughs> <laughs> and and get that uh, get that special airfare, and, wow. and uh, went out and and uh, met my three grandchildren for the first time. And court came out, and we held one another and said the things in each other's ear that we needed to say. And uh, as we finished that, she said, "Oh, by the way, Dad." Jeff and his family are coming over for lunch tomorrow. Mm. It's my son. And we too hadn't spoken for 16 years. And we said the things the next day that we needed to say. And my son, um, nine years ago, moved to Texas, lives in Arlington. And he shares ministry with me at the Palage Unit Mm. um, as a volunteer state-approved volunteer in the Voyager class. And, um, and he, he speaks an amazing word of encouragement and yeah. hope. Yeah. And men who are estranged from their children pull him aside. Said, can I just talk with you? Can I just visit with you? And that's, again, a part of God choreographing yeah. the things that have gone on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an intelligent guy, but I couldn't do what, that, right. what he's done. Right. So back when you were indicted and charged with all these charges and facing all that time, did you ever dream that there would be a day that you would be reconciled with, with all your family? Uh, I, I imagine that, that, that that's what the split was or the disconnect was from was, was the, you know, the charges that mm-hmm. sent you to prison. So, um, you know, talk about that a minute. You know, what was that like? And knowing that your family didn't want anything to do with you. It, it's it's hard. <laughs> it's it's really tough. Uh, but um, 
my encounter with the Dallas police on that April 18th day of 1996 was a result of my feeling hopeless. But as long I've come to terms with, and, and that verse, those verses from Psalm 30, that as long as we have breath, we have hope. And what we need to do is cry out in our helplessness to the person who can help, the yeah. person in God himself. Yeah. And, and we're not hopeless. So I never gave up hope of our relationship being restored, of our being reconciled. Not ever. Just uh, two weeks prior to Courtney's calling, I was sitting at, at church um, with a couple, and we were visiting, and the friend reached over and took my hand, and she said, Boyce, have you, have you heard anything from your children? And I said, no, I haven't. But I know it's coming. And it was exactly 15 days later Wow. that Courtney called. Wow. And so come to find out that, uh, that the impetus behind it was her husband, and both of them have a solid relationship with Jesus Christ. Both of them have uh, come to terms with who they are in Christ Jesus and the things that they needed to do. And, and on their anniversary dinner, uh, 48 hours before she called, her husband said to her over dinner, you need to reach out to your dad. And, and she was watching... Uh, flipping through the TV, she said, the next afternoon, and uh, there was a program on about a father who had just gotten out of prison and was trying to find his daughter. And she said that I, I literally looked up and said, yes, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love it when God speaks directly and loudly? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so what kind of encouragement could you give the inmate who uh, hasn't been able to reconnect with their family yet, that have been waiting a long time like you did? Um, you know, outside of just saying, don't give up and don't give up hope, you know, what, what, what can you speak into their lives? You know, you know, as well as I do, this, this goes into the prisons and jails across the nation, not just Texas, but you know, there's probably a lot of people sitting out there wondering if they're ever going to be able to reconnect with their family again. What advice would you give them in trying to reconnect, um, without making things worse? Establish a pattern of consistency. Do something simple. I have four children. I wrote the oldest on the first Sunday of every month, the second on the second Sunday, the third and the fourth. I did not miss. Hmm. I had been inconsistent for a lot of years in their lives. Yeah. But I wrote those letters. My son, who shares ministry with me, sent them all back, returned to sender. Wow. We don't need to read those letters. I still have them. But we don't need to read those because of what God has done right. in, in our relationship. Courtney, um, just... When, but when did that stop? When did the re returning them to Cinder stop? When I left prison. Oh, so that was when you were when in prison. When I was prison, in prison. When you were in prison. So you started that even when you were in prison. Yes. And then, and then when you left prison, uh, I mean, it was a while before you actually reconnected with them, right? right? I sent birthday cards. Birthday cards. Okay. I sent... So you stayed consistent. I sent Christmas cards. I spent Father's Day cards. I sent, so I stayed consistent. It was you. You your method was a little different. Instead of just the first of the month or whatever, right. that, their week of the month, but you stayed consistent in everything right. you did. 
Okay. And and Courtney shared, um, we were out there prior to the pandemic. We you know we were out visiting, and uh, and she said, you know, there was uh, there was a time that I recognized that no matter what was going on in my life that I was going to get a letter from you the third Thursday of every month. And wow. I was going to get a letter wow. on the third Thursday of every month. She said, I'm sorry that I didn't respond. But that consistency is the thing. You become so consistent that they can, they can anticipate what you're going to do next. Yeah. That's huge. And when, when God restores those relationships, that consistency has to stay the same. Yeah, yeah. We can't. We have to become men who say what they're going to do when they do what they say. Not not only in the lives of our children and, right. our, and our family, but in all that we do. Because we can make a difference for that next man coming out. One of the things that I recognized that I had an obligation to reach back and take the hand of a man that I was close to in prison when I was released. And, and me hold on to his hand until he's released. And then me challenge him, say, now who hand are you going to reach back and take? Yeah, so good. And take hold of that hand and you hold on to him through his release and you challenge him the same way. So good. So good. Royce, there are... Lots of people, media and people, uh, I don't want to call them all uneducated, but they might be a little uneducated as far as just, you know, criminal justice reform uh, or criminal justice um, elements. And and even, you know, sometimes well-meaning Christians just don't understand the depth of God's grace and mercy. And um, But there's a lot of, lot of people out there who believe that, you know, people like us, are never gonna never gonna get right. We're never gonna be cured. We're never gonna be. Um, we don't deserve a second chance. We don't deserve a third chance. We don't deserve. You know, I heard one celebrity media say, you know, I believe in second chances, but not third, fourth, fifth, and six. You know, we've got some great success stories coming out of forgiven felons that went down to prison six or seven times that mm-hmm. are doing great now. You know, um, what would you say to people that that don't believe that we can ever get better, you know, uh, or that we deserve a second chance. A, a, <clears throat> a funny story. Uh, I had been home about three weeks and had been invited to speak to a really large Sunday school class at uh, Lover's Lane. And I shared my story and was talking to three individuals afterwards. I was still standing at the podium, and they were just to my left. And there was a lady coming from the back of the room with purpose. She was on a beeline, and she planted her feet, and she stopped right in front of me. And she said, you don't look like what I expected a convict to look like. (laughs) And I said, well, exactly what does a convict look like? And the three people that were talking each took about half a step back. And she said, well, I I guess I don't know. (laughs) I asked the three of them to step back up. And I said, have any of the five of us ever driven a car under the influence of alcohol? We all five raised our hands. 
And I said, this is what a convict looks like. You each, each of us in that situation were one step away from becoming a convict. Yeah. So what does a convict look like? <laughs> Grace and mercy are an amazing thing. And, and God designed through the work of Jesus Christ for us to be recipients of that grace and mercy, of yeah. that reconciliation and that restoration into that relationship with Him. And until we accept that, until we understand that, we, we won't know what a convict looks like. Yeah. We won't know what each other really looks like. But when we accept the grace, then we in turn will look at every other individual and say, who am I to not extend grace? Yeah. Who am I to withhold grace from any individual, regardless if it's four or five or six times that they've been to prison? Ours is not <clears throat> to be overly concerned with what put them in the tomb of prison. Our concern as agents of Jesus Christ is to help ensure that they leave the tomb of prison with a changed heart and a changed mind and a success to look forward to. That's what our call is. Yeah. You know, we, we have a very simple philosophy on the Alpha Discipleship class on Wednesday evenings. Our my word is we're there to disciple men who will disciple other men who will one day go home and disciple their families. Yeah. That's our call. Yeah. That's what we do. And that's that's what um, that's what's making the difference. That's why we have less than five percent yeah. recidivism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the most rewarding thing about what you do now? Oh gosh. I know there's many. Oh, the, <laughs> just just in the last few days, uh, to be able to call a man who has been home just a few months, got home the, got home the Monday before Thanksgiving, to be able to call him in Austin and say, Steve Bell, who's finished his program, is going to be released on March 1st. He's got a bus ride from Kyle to Austin. He's going to be in Austin for two and a half hours on a layover. Would you drive down and take him to lunch? And, and let him see a friendly face in that, in that surroundings, in a place that he hasn't been in 15 years. Yeah, wow. And to receive the phone call from those guys and them laughing and having lunch and, and saying, this, this means so much to be able to have a friendly face there and, and to, to say, let's, let's, let's go have lunch. Mm. Um, and, you know, this guy is going to be all right. Because he understands that connection, yeah, he understands that, and to to the have the base broadened to the point that 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 next person and that next person and that next person they're reaching out and they're making a difference and they want to be involved yeah. in the lives of these men when they come home. That's that's yeah. that's over the moon. That, uh, well, that, I know I know we've been the beneficiary of several of men that have been. Uh, under your tutelage, Pallage, um, Jerry Bryce, uh, Charles Fors Mike Forsberg, Mike Forsberg, uh, Michael Carter, and uh, and I know they're all doing well. We've had a few others, but those are three of uh, three of my favorites that have come through there. And um, and uh, you know it's 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 great to see how even you know in their first six months that when they were they were with Forgiven Felons that 
they knew they could call you and get advice from you at any time. And, and, uh, and I'm sure, you know, uh, some still do. I think Michael Carter, uh, has gone back into prison with you. He's, he's a state approved volunteer yeah. now. He and his wife. Yes, so, absolutely. So that, that's amazing. I received a call from Michael yesterday, just a hello call. Yeah. I get those two every once in a while. So that, that, that's nice. He's actually going to be involved in, you know, uh, helping us, uh, teach welding in the, in the, in the resource center. You mentioned successful reintegration involves connection. And you've mentioned Lover's Lane United Methodist Church on numerous occasions throughout this uh, interview. So talk about the importance of connection in regards to a church. You know, why is it important for a church to even get involved in prison ministry? And how can a church um, assist in that connection and successful reintegration process? If you don't have a relationship with a church, you need to find one. God has a plan so much larger than we can even think or imagine. Yeah. I've been a member of the Methodist Church since 1966. I always had a connection with a pastor. Went to prison, and I missed that. I began listening to University Park United Methodist Church at 9 a.m. live on WRR Radio. I listened to Lover's Lane at 9.30 live. Through that process, I determined that I needed that connection that I needed to reestablish. And then I was in a dilemma. I couldn't figure out which of these churches that I wanted to become a member of. Yeah. One Saturday evening, about 11.45, I went down on the dorm and woke a friend up and said, I've got a dilemma. I'm, I'm really trying to figure out which of these churches I want to write about moving my membership to. My friend was an early-to-bed, early-to-rise kind of guy, and he very simply said, Royce, God's got it all figured out. He's going to show you. you. You know, you just have to wait on God. Okay, buddy, go back to sleep. Good night. I went down to my bunk and said my prayers and went to bed. At 9 a.m., I listened to University Park. Thomas Q. Robbins was the pastor at that time. He came on and did a sermon. And all was well. Stan Copeland came on at 9.30 with Lover's Lane. His sermon title that particular day was Carpe Diem, which is Latin for Seize, Seize the, the day. day. He's preaching along, and he did one of those pregnant pauses that preachers do. That's just that little time. And he said, the letter you've been putting off, the letter you haven't written, Carpe Diem, Seize the Day, write the letter. <laughs> Yes, Lord. <laughs> so I wrote Stan that afternoon and says, this is who I am. This is where I am. This is why I am. And shared my story and shared what I would like to do. I dropped it in the mail the next morning and thought to myself, well, I will or I will not. Here's something. Uh, the next Sunday, I'm listening at 930. And Stan comes on and says, I'm going to do something today I've never done in the life of my ministry. My sermon today is a letter from a man in prison. Wow. And he shared my story with me listening live. And you know you know how we're not supposed to cry in prison. <laughs> Shows I'm a, weakness. I'm a blubbering idiot. <laughs> Guys are stopping by checking on me. And, and Stan ends the sermon, and he said, Royce asked, uh, how should he proceed? Yeah. And he said, I've talked with the staff, and prayed over this, and 
And we've determined that the way Roy should receive is, will the congregation please stand and receive him into the fellowship of Lover's Lane United Methodist Church this morning? And he said, would you say an amen? And there was an amen. And he said, I know he's listening. Be sure he can hear us. (laughs) And there was a aurorous amen. Wow. And I became a member at Lover's Lane six years before I ever crossed the threshold of the doorway. What a story. I mean, I knew you'd been there a long time. I didn't realize that that's how it happened. Wow. And subsequently, that's how Alpha, the discipleship program, and they're and came they, to and they have they I mean they have gotten behind you and there's a huge uh, I mean they just they love they love the men of the palace unit I'm sure I mean gosh we we go every Wednesday well you know except the pandemic and yeah. and lockdowns yeah. but um, but if if God has put a calling on your heart to find a church don't wait yeah find so a good. church now so good get get involved now get planted who who knows. What his plans are. That's so good. Real quick, did the how did the, the pandemic affect you guys uh, as ministers? And then once you were, you know, uh, I'm sure you probably stepped up your correspondence uh, during that time. How did, how did you see that it was affecting the inmates? Over the the last two years, we've written uh, Trish and I've written about 6,500 letters. Wow. Uh, you know, just to stay in touch, yeah. let them to know that they're loved and they're mattered, that they matter to us, and and just to keep that connection. Hey, we we can't be there, but I want to encourage you today. How much harder was it on them? You think? I mean, imagine yourself back in the day when we were in prison and we had to go through something like this. What what kind of effect did it have on them? We were blessed because of the quality of leadership within the prison system. We call our small group leaders stewards and there's there's two stewards for each small group we had 15 small groups prior to the pandemic and so we had that 30 men who who've been through some intense training yeah. have been through leadership and skills and and they continued to have small group meetings on the dorms wow they they continued to have prayer groups on so the dorms good. so good they they kept that core group included and they welcome in new men into the into the program and you know they're 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 the they're the catalyst yeah that make it happen yeah um and we're so thankful for them and for the, what they continue to do but our our part of the process through that was to keep them encouraged to keep them uplifted and to give them materials that was new yeah. that, that they could share within the small group sessions. Yeah. Let's discuss this today. Were they happy when you when you the first day you came back in? They were they were <laughs> overjoyed as we were. Yeah, it I, was I, it was very limited. We yeah. could we could only have twenty men at a time. Yep. Um, and, I went in last fall mm-hmm. in September and October, and that was the way it was when I went in. So uh, couldn't have more than two volunteers, and you could only have twenty up to twenty men. So. But, now they've opened it back up. Is Pallage one of those ones that's seventy percent vaccinated? Yeah, yeah. yeah we, so we it's had, normal activities for you guys. Normal activities. We had a hundred four hundred four men in attendance last night, and you know ten small groups, two of which are Spanish speaking. Wow. 
So um, good. And that structure and that leadership, you know, development plan that you guys have is just so, uh, so amazing. And it's obviously it goes to just the leadership you guys exude, you know, in your own lives. Um, and uh, they're just following, they're just following y'all's footsteps. So, uh, well, I want to, I want to say thank you to you. Um, how long are you going to do this? I don't know. <laughs> well, what, what did your friend say? Uh, God's got it, or God, yeah, God's, God's got, got the answer. God's got the answer. He's got a plan. It's, uh, you know, it. It's. Uh, I turned seventy-five last month. Uh, I drive three hours to the unit. I spend whatever time that we're on the unit. You know, sometimes it's six, eight hours. Yeah, and then drive another three hours home. Uh, those are long days. Yes, and the, they they wear wear on me even the next day. Yeah, uh, but there's such a huge thing that we receive. Yeah, you know we 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 go and we have a program and we have a plan. But when a man comes to you and he said, "I heard from my daughter this week, or my son is coming to visit next week. I haven't seen him in three years." Yeah. And we get to pray with that man or those men and and pray for God to continue the restoration process, for God to continue to grow them spiritually. Our drive home is joy. Yeah. We talk about what we experience, Trish and I, uh, individually and collectively through the course of the evening. Um, our team that travels down from Dallas, from the church each week. They have a small group session going down and a small group session going back. Going down, they talk about a litany of things. Going back, they'll spend that two hours talking about the experiences they had that evening. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they're excited. They're, they're one, they're glad to be back. They're, they're, they're speaking life. They're speaking hope and they're encouraging men in a dark place. Yeah. Well, I want to personally thank you for what you do. I know you have impacted so many lives uh, when you were in prison and especially when you've been out. Uh, your church is incredible. I know um, that every every Christmas they do everyone's everybody's Christmas and they hand out coats and food and, and gift bags and stuff to and our and our guys that are freaking felons have been beneficiary of that uh, for many years. Uh, so thank you for for being involved. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for getting your church involved. You know, some churches are just, they forget that part, you know, of the Bible. They skip over that, did you visit me in prison? You know, and, uh, the, and even the passage in, in Hebrews 13, you know, to, to regard the prisoner. You know, sometimes we forget. And I tell people, look, if you go just one time, even if it's just to check off that box for the Lord when you meet him one day, I, I tell them, you won't regret it. Because you will be more blessed than than what you think you're going in to bless somebody else. Yeah. Amen. If I, I found we found over the years that um, you will be smitten. Yeah. If you'll yeah. just go taste the waters. Yep. So true. So true. Uh, all right. Before we go, just speak to everybody in prison, whether they're in a cell behind bars or they're in some sort of prison out here and just say, just say, just say one, one, one paragraph of, of encouragement to the prisoner. 
and like I said, that's a prisoner behind bars or a prisoner out here because I was a prisoner out here way before I got charged and convicted with my actual prison sentence. And, and, you know, sometimes we can just hear one thing that might turn our perspective and mindset and, and life around. So just give one last encouraging word to people that are imprisoned. Consider what your last thoughts are when you lay down and go to sleep at night and what your first thoughts are when you wake up in the morning. Is it a woman? Is it a man? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? What is it? Whatever that is, you're romancing. Sometimes it's a burden. And my burden was about regarding those in prison. And I recognized from Nehemiah 1, chapter 3, where he says when he learned about the walls and the gates in Jerusalem, that he was burdened and that he wept, and that it just would not leave him. So perhaps whatever that thing that you're burdened with is a call from God. And ask God to show you. He's faithful. He will. Ask Him to show you what it is that He's leading, it, leading you to, what it is that He desires from you, and what is the calling that He's placing on your life today, because it can be the greatest blessing that you'll ever have in your life going forward. Listen to his call. Wow. That's so good. That is so good. That encouraged me right now. So I know it encouraged somebody out there. How can we pray for Royce and Trish and Lover's Lane and your whole ministry? How can we pray for you guys? Well, we we have, you know, we've got some amazing things going on. We have a, another United Methodist Church who we did a, a Zoom meeting with a, a couple of weeks ago. We're, we're going to speak to a, a large group over a dinner meeting a little later this month uh, to discuss prison ministry, and we're bringing some other former offenders in with us that uh, share their stories and uh, so that they can see it from different perspectives. Yeah. But pray that, that hearts will be open to receive the message and that we can expand. Yeah. As... as uh, that we can enlarge our territories, yes. enlarge the tents, Amen. Uh, if you will, from Jabez, that prayer. Amen. Yeah. And that um, that hearts will be received, uh, receive the message, and that will be stirred into action. Yeah. Because ultimately, that's what God's calling us to. He's calling us to action. Amen. Amen. Royce, thanks for letting us do a background check on you today. Amen. Thank hey, you, Jay hey, Thank you so much. Okay, so to wrap it all up, man, what a great interview. Thanks again to Royce and uh, his, 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 even his wife, Trish, for allowing him to take the time out of that day to uh, record this. Uh, Royce is an incredible man, and to know even more of his journey um, makes me admire him even more. He's been, going, he's been going back into prisons the same amount of time I've been out. So, uh, and, and I have too. I mean, I, I waited, I think, two years to go back in, but... I'm, uh, I'll be out April 18th. I'll be 16 years, and I've been going in for 14 years. But, you know, he said a few things that I really want to highlight. You know, the first thing, number one, the very last thing he, he said is to challenge yourself. What do you think about when you first wake up in the morning? What do you think about the last thing you think about before you close your eyes? Is it your, I mean, are you thinking about what you're seeing on your cell phone? Are you thinking about what you're seeing on TV? 
I'm, hey, I'm guilty. I'm just as guilty, man. Sometimes I wonder why I don't sleep well or I wonder why I don't get good quality sleep or, or whatever. Or I don't wake up well. And, and then I, I can sometimes just look at what I've, what I'm viewing or listening to or watching before I go to bed. Is it healthy? Is it relaxing? Is it calming? Is, is it spiritual? Is it personal development stuff? Is it idle stuff? I, man, you know, I mean, where do you draw the line between entertainment and getting a good, good night's sleep? You know, uh, there's nothing wrong with watching TV and looking at things, but when it comes to your overall health and well-being and mental, mental health, you know, we have to step back and take a look at like what we're putting in, what we're putting in through to our heart and soul, through our mind, through our eyes and our ears. And he said, you know, that's what, that's what you adore. That's what you worship. That's what you, I don't think he said those exact words, but, <clears throat> but I mean, that's, that's what you give your time to. The, I mean, I remember when I was first dating Jessamy, honestly, God wasn't the first thing on my mind when I woke up. She was. <laughs> And she was the last thing on my bed, you know, before I lay my, on my bed and go to sleep. You know, now I would say thank you, Jesus, for Jessamy. But it, you have to be intentional about where your heart goes in the form of what you listen to, what you, what you do, what you watch. Let's see. Consistency. He talked about being consistent. And now he talked about it in the, in the form of just being consistent. If you want a relationship to work out and it's not, be, you be consistent on your end. You can't control what the other end does, but be consistent on your end. And, you know, when you were consistently bad for a long time, it's going to take, take a while to undo all the consistently bad that, things that you might have done, hurtful things, you know, betrayal, whatever. And so you've got, to, you've got some time to make up. And so if you're consistently good, eventually there'll come a time where that good will outweigh the wrong that you may have done. And so I'm just, uh, you know, to see him ministering with his son is incredible. What was your favorite part about this episode? Uh, so much of it challenges us, you know, so much of it challenges us. I like the way he said before he got out, somebody grabbed his hand and said, I'm doing this with you. I'm not going to let go. And then he got out and he went back and grabbed somebody else's hand. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to hold your hand until you're out. And to just create this. And th it's true, man, the pallage, the pallage unit guys, man, I, I know a lot of other units have their, their group when they get out, but man, the pallage unit is, is strong, is strong. Anytime somebody from the pallage unit comes to forgive felons, I'll have I'll have a guy or two, you know, making sure, calling me to make sure that they are being picked up from prison, um, the bus station, wherever, and taken to parole, taken to, you know, so many places. So the pallage unit's pretty strong. And um, I thank God for Royce and everything he does inside and outside that, that the prison walls. So thank you for listening. Let's let's pray for Royce and Trish and, and um, the Alpha the alpha class, the Voyager class, and all the men at the Pallage unit. Let's lift them up in prayer right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this show, for this platform. Thank you for the listeners, everyone listening right now. Thank you that you're touching lives, you're touching hearts. You're, you're going to allow somebody to write that letter, and not just a one-time letter like you did with the church, but that consistent letter 
We have lots of letters we probably need to write, God. Give them, give all of us the ability to write that letter. You wrote a letter to us, Lord. It's in the form of the Bible. And we thank you for that. That was a hard letter to write, God, because in it, you basically sacrificed your own son for us. So, Lord, help us to write that letter, whether it's to a church, whether it's to a family member, whatever. Give us the courage, the boldness, and the creativity, and the wisdom to move forward towards reconciliation. Lord, we pray the, the prayer of Jabez over Royce, Trish, the Palagina, Alpha, Voyager, everything, that you would expand their territory, enlarge their, their territory. Give them everything they need to do it, Lord. Give them all the resources they need. Give them the manpower they need to expand. Lord, we thank you, and we, we ask you to bless Royce, Trish, and all the Lover's Lane volunteers and everybody that goes in with them, their, his, his children. Bless their children, Lord. Bless his children. Thank you. Give them everything they need, Lord, once again. And again, bless the listener, the person listening right now, Lord. They need a hug. They need a, a word. They need, they need hope. And the Lord says, don't give up. Don't give up on that relationship. Don't give up on that dream. Don't give up on, on you making parole. Don't give up on your son and daughter coming back, your spouse coming back. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because like Royce, Royce's friend said in prison, God's, God's got this. God's got this. And if God's got this, then I don't need to say anymore. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we'll see you next week. And uh, once again, thanks for listening. Share this podcast with somebody. I mean, if you want to leave a review, that's great. Leave a review on Apple, but I'm not worried about that anymore. The, the best thing you could do for this show is just to spread the word. Spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and um, keep us in your prayers as a ministry, and we'll keep you in ours. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast, brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.